morning, everybody. Uh, so glad to have you here with us today. I am so blessed to be with you, and I'm so honored to teach God's Word to you this morning. So I invite you uh, together along with me to uh, ask God, to trust God, to believe God, to uh, work powerfully uh, through His Word this morning in our hearts. Our scripture this morning commands us to not be ashamed, but rather to suffer. You may have gotten the idea that God mainly is supposed to protect you from all suffering. But to believe that, you would have to ignore the suffering of Jesus and the apostles and verses like we have in front of us this morning. The world tries to shame us into silence because we have violated its norms. Uh, we believe things that they, that they are utterly against. Uh, we have stepped outside the rules of conformity. So we can either accept the shame they seek to impose on us or we can refuse to be ashamed and choose to suffer. No doubt there is a stigma associated with the name of Christ and with the message of Christ. The world thinks we are naive, uh, anti-intellectual, and even dangerous. We may have some family members or friends who think our Christian faith is okay, but the powerful people, the people who influence and control our culture do not feel that way about you and me. There is great opposition to God's truth in government, in Hollywood, in the media, in our schools, colleges, and universities, and on social media. The world does not think we are cool at all. Of course, this only confirms what the Bible itself says, that Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So to be a devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to bear that shame for the sake of his name. And that's what Paul is challenging Timothy to do here in this passage. And that is what we are challenged to do. Verse 8, therefore, or because of this reason, do not be ashamed of the message about our Lord. Because of this reason, because of what reason? Because of what reason should we not be ashamed? Well, this refers back to verse 7, which we talked about last week. Because God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power, along with love and self-discipline. Being ashamed of Christ arises out of fear. And God gave us his spirit to conquer our cowardice, our fears, our fear of people, our fear of rejection, even our fear of persecution or suffering. So instead of being ashamed, Paul said, share or join in suffering 
for the gospel by the power of God. So we, we accept suffering knowing God gives us the power to suffer. We have power to overcome sin. We have power to love. We have power to forgive people. We have power to exercise spiritual gifts. But we have power to suffer and to not be ashamed. The power of God within us overcomes our tendency to be ashamed and to shrink from suffering. The power of God is an unshakable reality inside us and we need to believe that and we need to trust that power as we go through the troubles, trials, suffering, hardship of life. Share in suffering by the power of God. I think it's very significant that Paul adds that phrase. Suffer. Don't be ashamed, but suffer by the power of God. Thank God his power is available to us to help us be bold and courageous and not shrink in cowardice and be willing to embrace the suffering in our path. So the two main messages in this passage are, very simply, refuse to be ashamed about the message of Christ and choose to suffer for that message. Again, Paul challenged Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. You see that very clear command or direction for Timothy and for us. And Paul testified then to Timothy that this is how I myself live. Verse 12, for this reason I suffer as I do and I am not ashamed. And then Paul ends this passage by naming two men who were unwilling to suffer shame and one man who did suffer shame. You are aware of that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy, and then verse 16, but may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. We probably learn more what cowardice is and what courage is by example than by trying to explain it or teach about it. When you see cowardice, you know it. When you see courage, you know it. But here Paul gives us an example to shun, an ex example of two guys to turn away from their example. And he gives us the example of Onesiphorus for us to follow and duplicate in our lives. So if you want to know what gospel courage looks like, look at Onesiphorus. And we're going to talk more about that later, but I just wanted to lay out before you so you could see clearly the, the, uh, the theme all through this passage of not being ashamed and willing, being willing to embrace hardship or suffering. Specifically, Paul said, or excuse me, um, the first command of the Scripture is 
do not be ashamed. That's how Paul starts out uh, verse 8. Do not be ashamed. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Being ashamed comes from an over-desire to look respectable in the eyes of others. And instead of being concerned with the world's opinion of us, we should be concerned that Christ himself would not be ashamed of us. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Those are strong words, I know, uh, but we need to hear them. How badly we need to be Christians with courage and with backbone today. How badly we need to follow the exhortation of this passage to not be ashamed, but to be willing to suffer. Specifically, Paul said, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. I'm going to start with the second half of that, or of me, his prisoner. Paul was in prison when he wrote this to Timothy. Prisoners were the lowest rung of Roman society. You know, it's very easy to identify with other Christians. Say, yeah, I, I know that guy. I associate with that, that woman, that girl. If they are successful, popular, well thought of. But it is very easy to withdraw from them when they are criticized or thrown in prison or maybe fired from their job because of their convictions about Christ. So we are not to be ashamed of other Christians who are outcasts or who are suffering. And ultimately, you cannot separate faithfulness to the Lord from faithfulness to his body, to his family, to each other. I think people would like to do that and claim, oh no, I'm faithful to the Lord. Just don't go to church, don't associate with the Lord's people. It doesn't work that way. The first part of that statement, he he said we are not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He exhorted Timothy, don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. I addressed the the thought about of me as prisoner first, but at the beginning it says "Do, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So we are not to be ashamed of Christ or the message about Christ. And since this message was entrusted by Christ to the apostles, we are not to be ashamed of Paul or the other apostles or what they have written. In other words, we're not to be ashamed of the Bible. I always loved what J. Vernon McGee used to say. Uh, He's been dead for many years now, but He used to say, God did not ask me to apologize for his word, but to preach it. So the first command is, do not be ashamed. The second command is, but share in suffering. At a very fundamental level, the Christian life is about suffering. Jesus Christ suffered rejection, injustice, hardship, and ultimately execution by crucifixion at the hands of evil people. And Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
will suffer. Peter said Christ suffered in the body or because Christ suffered in his body, therefore arm yourselves with that same resolve. In other words, be resolved, purpose to suffer and be willing to suffer. In, in Colossians 1.24, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh or in my body, Paul's talking about himself, in my body, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And I know that can be a difficult passage to understand. I'm not going to delve into it. But in some way, Christ's suffering is not complete until Paul and you and I have suffered along with him for his body, which is the church. Paul said his sufferings were the sake of the church, the body of Christ. Do you know or have you ever heard that we are called to suffer for the sake of Christ's body? That's not how most people think about the family of God. We're called to suffer for God's family, for the family of God, for the church, the body of Christ. That's how Paul thought. Specifically here, Paul said, share in suffering for the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection for our new life. His death paid for our sins, that's the heart of the gospel. His resurrection provided new life for us to be raised up in the power of the Holy Spirit and live as new people for him. And Paul said that he suffered for that message. Christians down through 2,000 years of church history have suffered greatly for that message. Someday pick up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's hard, hard to even read. Sometimes almost impossible to read. You just have to put it down. Uh, what people have suffered for the message of the gospel. Our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering today uh, for this message. And we are commanded to take our part in that suffering for the gospel message. A long time ago, many years ago, J.I. Packer coined the phrase hot tub religion uh, to describe what he felt was the prevailing attitude about what it meant to be a Christian. I, if I remember, I think it was probably like in 1980s. So, I mean, this is a long time ago that he described Christian as a hot tub religion. I'm, what would he say about it today? Um, he's gone, so he can't make a comment. But hot tub religion, that's the attitude that says, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I follow Jesus Christ as long as it is warm and comfortable. Of course, I'm not condemning hot tubs. I have one. Uh, they can be very relaxing, but they are not a good metaphor for the Christian life. Hot tub Christianity keeps us from taking unpopular stances. Hot tub Christianity keeps us from being committed to long-term relationships. It keeps us from being faithful to the church, the body of Christ. It keeps us from doing anything that feels 
hard or uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis said, I did not go to Christianity to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. Now, I believe that Christ does make us truly and deeply happy. With all my heart, I believe that. And I think C.S. Lewis would say that too from other things that he wrote. I'm sure he would. But at the very heart of following Jesus Christ is something hard and costly and not always very comfortable at all. So do not withdraw from church or from doing the work of the Lord because things are hard or because it involves suffering. And I am convinced that we will need this exhortation from this scripture more and more in the coming years. We need it today for sure, but I think we'll need it even more and more in the coming years here in the USA. Serving Jesus and loving his people at times can seem so easy and exciting. I mean, it just can't. There's just times where it seems like things are happening, people are growing, changing, more people are coming. It, you know, just things are working and it feels, you feel like it's easy and exciting. But at other times, it can just plain feel hard. And it is those who know how to press through the hardness of life and endure hardship and suffering for the sake of the message who will finish the race. Of course, it would be a distortion of God's plan to say that everything in life is hardship and suffering. And I'm not one of those people who tries to make the whole Christian life just look heavy and dark and it's just all hard. Not at all. Paul, Paul had just described in 1 Timothy God as the one who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And he condemned those who wanted to deny believers the pleasures of food and drink and marriage and all the millions and millions of things that God has created for believers to enjoy. But along with that, with all the good things that God has created for us to enjoy, there certainly is a costly side of being a Christ follower. And that is what we must embrace. And if you think, about, think that we talk about it too much, it's just simply because it is all through the Scripture. It's all through the New Testament. It's every, every book of the Bible. We're not going to teach probably through any single book in the New Testament that doesn't talk about the opposition of the world, the, the need to overcome hardship, and being willing to suffer. It's, it's just there. It's part of our Christianity. Then in verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul described in some detail the wonders of the gospel message that he was willing to suffer for. And he describes these wonders in a way that show us that the wonderful gospel message is worth suffering for. God saved us, verse 9, God saved us and called us to a holy, holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Some translations say before the world began or before time began. 
and which has been which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to, immortality to light through the gospel. All right, this really gets into why Paul said that he was willing to suffer for the gospel message and not be ashamed of it, and why he commanded Timothy and and indirectly us to be willing to suffer for the gospel. Because it is through the gospel that God saved us. He saved us. It is only through the gospel message that we or anybody is ever saved. That's why Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I've quoted this before, but it it helps me understand because I think salvation kind of becomes a a cliche word. J.I. Packer said, salvation always means being rescued from jeopardy and misery so that one is now safe. We were in grave danger. We were on the brink of eternal death and judgment, and God saved us. And we are now safe. Romans 5.1, being justified through faith in Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. When you wake up in the morning, you are not under condemnation. You are in a state of peace with God. You are in a state of grace with God. You stand in grace. When you wake up, when you go to bed, you stand in grace all day long, every day. Through the power of the gospel to save you and bring you into that kind of relationship with God. God saved us and he called us to a holy calling. We are not saved because we are holy but we are saved to become holy. It is a privilege to be holy, and it is a privilege to be called to holiness. Peter tells us we are a holy people, or we are a holy nation, a people for God's own special possession. We belong to God now. We are his people, and he is our God. And that, in essence, is what it means to be holy. We are separated we are set apart for him and unto him we are his own special possession and God saved us not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace this gets into some really mysterious but wonderful things God did not save us because of our good our own goodness but because of his own plan and his grace and it says that he chose to save us and to give us grace a long time ago verse uh, verse 9 God planned to save us and gave us a grace in Christ Jesus before the world began I mean what what a mystery who can understand that what a mystery what a wonder he chose to give you grace and to love you before time began and that means if he would give you grace and to love you before time again that means he gives you grace today and loves you today and we'll have grace for you tomorrow. And verse 10 says, and this plan and this grace 
have now been manifested, this plan and grace has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The wonderful plan of God to save us was hidden. or was, It was called a mystery. It was shrouded in mystery for centuries. But it burst upon the scene in the appearing of Jesus Christ. I mean, God's had a plan for ages, but it just wasn't manifest or it wasn't revealed. And in Christ, it all became clear. It's like this, this mystery just all of a sudden was solved and everything about it was known that God had planned to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. So with amazing power, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ himself abolished death for us and gave us life. God made us immortal through faith in Christ. We, we have the life of God springing up like a fountain to eternal life. Jesus said in John 11, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We're going to live forever with him. And so Paul said, I was appointed a messenger for this gospel. The, the gospel I just did my very best attempt to describe. I was appointed a messenger for this gospel. And for this reason, for the sake of this gospel, I suffer and I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That's verse 12. We are not suffering for someone we do not know. We are not suffering merely for, a, uh, for an idea or for an organization. We are called to suffer for Jesus Christ, someone that we know, someone that we love, and someone that we know loves us. And Paul also, also was um, willing to suffer because he said, because I know who I have believed. I know, I know Jesus Christ for whom I'm paying the price of suffering. I know him intimately, personally. I love him, he loves me. But he also said, I'm willing to suffer because I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul had great confidence in God about something that God had entrusted to him or some translations say that he had entrusted to God. And some of you, if, if you know this passage, you probably know it both ways. And the reason for the confusion is, in the, in the original language, it simply says, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day my deposit. Okay? A deposit means something valuable given to someone else to protect. So there's many ideas about what this deposit was. And uh, you're welcome to whatever you think his deposit was and whether you and and you're also welcome to believe you know whether you believe that it was what uh, a deposit that God had entrusted to Paul to take care of or that Paul had entrusted to God to take care of I'm fine with that 
But I think, and since I'm the one speaking, I get to say what I think. I think from the context, Paul was convinced that God was able to guard the gospel about Jesus Christ that had been entrusted to Paul and that he would guard it in spite of all the opposition and all the shame that the world would seek to heap upon him and the message of the cross. The gospel that has the power to save people had been entrusted to Paul and God, or Paul was sure that God would guard that until the day Christ returns. In other words, the gospel will not be snuffed out. The gospel will prevail. And Paul's confidence that God would protect that treasure, the treasure of the gospel, Paul's confidence that God would protect that treasure has proven true. Uh, the message entrusted to Paul is still with us today, almost 2,000 years later, and it's protected. It has been protected by the power of God. It is currently protected by the power of God, and it will be protected by the power of God against unbelievable opposition until the day that Christ Jesus returns for us. And then Paul appealed to Timothy to guard that same message. In verse 13, he said, follow, follow the pattern of the sound words or the sound teaching that you have heard from me. And then the next verse, verse 14, this is a different translation, but I think it helps communicate it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was in prison. He was the Lord's prisoner. And he was nearing the end of his life. And he was nearing the end of his life not because of old age, but because his life was in danger. And he knew that he was about to be executed before long. And so he appealed to Timothy through the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on, to hold fast to the sound teaching being willing to suffer whatever was necessary to protect and keep that message. And so we participate in that too, or at least we're supposed to. We are called to participate in that too. And, and honestly, I, I believe that we're doing that by being right here together this morning. By committing ourselves to the Word of God, to the people of God, we are participating in the protecting of that message. And we do that day after day, week after week, year after year for our whole lives. And we participate in fully guarding the message of the gospel by listening to it frequently, by proclaiming it however in whatever ways we are gifted to, and by being unashamed and willing to suffer for that message, for the message of the gospel. Then Paul puts what I would say is an exclamation mark on this passage or on this whole exhortation by giving us the example of two opposite kinds of people. First, verse 15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, 
among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I do not believe that Paul named these two men in order to embarrass them or for the sake of revenge, but to point out the seriousness of being controlled by shame and fear. They were unwilling to take the risk of associating with Paul. Then he shares the opposite example, the example of Onesiphorus. Uh, Verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of, of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. This is what courage looks like. He was not ashamed and he was willing to suffer. He almost certainly put himself in danger by going to visit Paul. Yet he identified with Christ by identifying with the Lord's prisoner, by Christ's or with Christ's prisoner, who is, of course, Paul in this context. When others, and it sounds like a lot of people turned away from Paul, a lot of people, a lot of people um, were unwilling to, to bear the shame or the risk of suffering to go and say that, hey, I, I know that guy or even want to visit that guy, Paul. When others turned away from Paul, though, one, one man, maybe some others, but he mentions Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, it says, searched earnestly for Paul. Paul was apparently in a prison that was not easy to find. He was in a place that it just wasn't easy to get to or to know exactly where it was. I don't know ex- that much about how the Roman prison system worked, but there was some difficulty or complexity in just finding out where Paul was. But that didn't stop him. He searched earnestly or diligently, going from place to place, asking where Paul was. And, of course, eventually he found Paul. And he came to see him. And he came to see him frequently. For Paul said, he often refreshed me. This is what courage looks like. And Onesiphorus is set before us as an example. And are, are we living like that? Obviously not doing the same thing, going the same places, but living with that approach to life. Not ashamed, willing to suffer for the Lord and for the Lord's people. So the cry of my heart this morning is that may, may we be Uh, unashamed and unafraid Christians. May we be unashamed of Christ and the message about Christ and willing to suffer for that message and for others in the body of Christ and for the gospel message. Let's, Let's pray.